Ben, Mike, is this it? Is this it for this iteration of the Minnesota Vikings? Because we are looking at the season finale on Sunday against the Chicago Bears. Another meaningful one. Uh, two years after they played a meaningful finale against the Bears, only because they had already locked up a playoff spot. But now they're back-to-back losing seasons. The franchise seems stuck in neutral and doesn't have much of a direction. So, Ben, when I asked you before this podcast what how our lead should be, the three words that seemed to sum it up the most was, is this it? I think this is it. Um, I, I don't think there's much chance that it looks exactly the way it did this year when they come back for OTAs in April. Um, my sense would be that a full reboot in terms of GM and head coach, I'm not entirely convinced it's going to be that yet. Um, I think it's more likely that Rick Spielman stays than Mike Zimmer does, but I don't think from what I've been told, I don't think they have made that decision quite yet. And, and I think it could still go either way, but um, even if Mike, sorry, even if Rick Spielman is still here, he may be in a different role. I, I've heard that theory tossed out and I think others probably have talked about it as well, but um, I don't, see it the run it back with no qualifications scenario I guess I have a hard time seeing that that is is the way they're going to go yeah because after a loss like that Mike how did you take that in 37 to 10 at Lambeau Field where even heading into it obviously is 13 point dogs nobody thought they had a shot the game was such a foregone conclusion that I went to a holiday light show with my family (laughs) for the first half because I just I had no interest in watching the game. Like as soon as Kirk Cousins was out for that game, you just knew probably what was going to happen. I mean, you know, bless Sean Mannion for everything he's done here. And for all intents and purposes, it sounds like he's a, a good clipboard holder. Sounds like he does all the things in the team meetings you want him to do, but it's just, he's just not a viable option really on an NFL roster right now for, you know, to start such a meaningful game. So now that part of it wasn't, any surprise but it does you know it was just kind of the culmination of this whole year of you know when things could go wrong they did they were resilient enough at times probably you know stayed in it a little longer than maybe they deserve to based on some pretty flat performances by two opponents down the stretch talking about uh, Pittsburgh and Chicago you know that they were able to win both of those games, it, it felt like it, so, it said more about who they were playing and not how they were playing. And, you know, it's just, if we're, if we're talking about is this it, I think the only question now is to, like, to what Ben said, to what extent? Is it just Mike Zimmer? Is it also Rick Spielman? And if it's both of them, is it an entirely, you know, you're right, maybe not in a, a, a tear it down to the studs, but is it a scenario where, a new person comes in and says, we need to, we need to, we need to change enough that Kirk Cousins isn't our long-term option at quarterback. We need to really look at how we can trade him this offseason while he still has a certain amount of trade value. Um, so I think the question more is how how bi- for how many people is this it? And not so much is it it. While the days are getting shorter, the nights are getting brighter at the Minnesota Zoo. 
Welcome to the second annual Nature Illuminated, presented by Wings Financial Credit Union. This narrated drive-through experience will immerse you in an enchanting world of brilliant, oversized displays of your favorite zoo creatures, all illuminated in fantastical layers of light. This one-of-a-kind experience is truly wild, only at the Minnesota Zoo. December 2nd through January 16th. Reserve your tickets at mnzoo.org. That's a good point because Kirk Cousins is under contract through at least next season currently through 2022. That one-year deal, though, becomes somewhat tradable if you look at it as a one-year $35 million contract, which is how it would be shipped out of town uh, at its current rate. Um, But, Ben, we haven't really sat down and chewed on how this kind of came to an end because Kirk Cousins tested positive two days after we recorded our midweek podcast last week. And for that to go down the way it did, it's one of those things where you kind of throw around as gallows humor in August of like, hey, you know, most important game, this might happen to him. And it did. And it's just Kirk, Kirk even foreshadowed it throughout, obviously, the year. But then on, I think, after the Rams loss, he was asked about it. And Kirk said, it's going to be tough. Like, we're going to, you know, Zimmer said they'd isolate the quarterbacks. Kirk admitted it's going to be difficult not to get this thing. And lo and behold, three days before the game, he gets it. So from what you've heard, I guess, what can you say about just what's going on internally with, with Kirk testing positive and the implications that it carried for the entire organization? Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the, the scenario that I think everybody thought was the most likely under the Murphy's law that seems to govern the Minnesota Vikings. Um, yeah, it, it's, I think it's, it's something that, you know, has, has been played out throughout the year and there is sort of, and I, I think the phrase I used in print was an uneasy truce between Kirk Cousins and the organization that there's sort of been this, well, we're winning. He, and he approached Zimmer about starting to do Thursday film sessions together. And that's kind of created at least a little bit more of an understanding between the two of them. Um, from what I heard, the reaction when he tested positive was fairly sharp in the organization, you know, knowing that it was probably going to cost him this game. And then that could have bigger implications after that. From what I heard, people were obviously not happy. And a lot of the sort of piece that had been made probably went by the wayside, not with everybody, but I, from what I've heard, there were people that were pretty upset with him before the season that kind of a lot of those things resurfaced. And to me, it's, it's a little more difficult when you have everybody getting the thing and the, the NFL has made the protocols such now that if you're vaccinated, you can sort of look the other way. You can basically only test if you have symptoms. And if you have symptoms, it's sort of up to you about when to report them. And, you know, I, I have heard rumors of this happening with teams around the league where, and it's no surprise, but you have guys saying, well, um, it's a big game on Sunday. You know, maybe this is just a cold and I'm not going to go test and say, I, I think it's fine. And then you go test later and you find out, well, yeah, it's COVID. So I think that's, that's happening. I think we'd be naive to assume it's not. So if cousins had been vaccinated, he could have gone that route, but, um, it sounded like he had some, some minor symptoms Friday morning, had a, he has to test every day either way. So this idea that he self-reported it 
is kind of a moot point because he has to test as an unvaccinated player every single day. But um, the the number of guys that are testing positive, I think, makes it a little harder to hold him out as you were the only reason that we had this issue and you're the reason that we are not going to the playoffs. And, and Mike Zimmer on Monday mentioned a lot of the unvaccinated players when he was talking about guys they didn't have, Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Tomlinson, Harrison Smith. So there's there's some of that ire that's going on, and, and I think it's gotten a little more complicated with the Omicron variant and just what that's meant for, you know, Andre Patterson said today, I'm vaccinated, I'm boosted, I still got the thing. But um, I, I continue to think that the reaction to it is such that if there's a portion of the current regime that's still in place there's going to have to be some uh mending of fences before we go into next season if if kirk cousins is still going to be around yeah kirk cousins who is unvaccinated was asked about that status today and said that it wouldn't have mattered in his current situation immediately saying that he had mild symptoms and so under the nfl's current protocols he's right um so in terms of the protocols it wouldn't have mattered not in terms of you know what hypothetically would have happened had he gotten exposed while vaccinated should he have gotten should he have decided to go that route many months ago or even a month ago or however long ago it would take for him to be considered vaccinated under the league's protocols Um, but he's not and he missed the game and was automatically ruled out because he was symptomatic three days beforehand and the Vikings are forced to start Sean Mannion and we talked after the game about that decision to do so Mike what did you think about Sean Mannion starting off of one day of practice, coming off of an own COVID case himself, and then Mike Zimmer only putting Kellen Mond in the game because Sean Mannion was dealing with cramps, uh, not because he wanted to see the rookie quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it was, I don't think there was, I don't think Mike Zimmer had a good choice to make in, in that game. I don't think, I, don't, I think Sean Mannion or Kellen Mond would have been equally capable of losing that game 37 to 10. I think Mon would have been the more interesting choice, I guess. Um, you know, he gives you, uh, you know, a you 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 kind of throw him into the fire. But if this is someone you are interested in in the future, you could get a look at him and say, "Oh, okay, here's like the absolute worst situation we could throw you into. Uh, you, we are fighting for our playoff lives because the starter is out. Uh, we're playing in ten degree weather against the best team in the league." Uh, go try to win us this game um, and then see what he does. Uh, that would have been, you know, in, in hindsight, that probably would have been unfair to him. And so starting Mannion is the practical decision to make there. It's just the less interesting decision to make. And uh, again, the, the series we saw from Mond where uh, his third pass should have been a pick six uh, probably doesn't inspire a ton of confidence in what would have happened if he'd played for all four quarters. But, you know, you could have put a, a different game plan in place for him, you know, utilize some of the, you know, the, the rookie legs that he has, as opposed to, you know, Sean Mannion's, you know, backup status. And, you know, again, I don't think there was a good decision to make that. I don't think either one of them would have had any success in that game, but it, it, it struck me as the kind of the, uh, the safe, the safe choice, I guess, in, in any respect. I do think the hand wringing uh, in some corners of Vikings fandom about the decision to start Mannion is missing the point that, Kirk Cousins tested positive on a Friday and that is not enough time to sit there and say, let's scrap the entire game plan and put in a whole Kellen Mond specific game plan. Uh, You don't plan for your quarterback to be ruled out on a Friday, even in COVID times. And with Sean Mannion, 
Um, at least I think they figured, hey, he could step in and run that offense that we had game plan for for Green Bay, even though the evidence on there on, on Sunday night was that he couldn't run it all that well. Um, and then, yeah, Kellen Mond's one pass didn't inspire a ton of confidence, certainly on that third down. And now, um, I, I did hear this week that they had talked about putting in some package for him, some some wildcat type stuff that maybe would have taken advantage of his mobility. But they never they never did it. They never got to that. And uh, I think a lot of the reason, obviously, you're down 20 to three. It's not going to do any good. But they did have, I think, concerns about could he execute the entire game plan for four quarters in that weather having to run 65 plays. I mean, that's, that's a lot to ask in a primetime debut against the number one seed in the NFC in that weather. So I, you can, you can play the game. It's always the backup quarterbacks, the most popular guy in town. And probably, especially in this case, when it's Sean Mannion and you don't get a great result from the starter. Um, but I, I think the idea that from what we've seen of Kellen Mond and the fact that he hasn't been good enough in their minds to be the number two quarterback on the depth chart, as Mike Zimmer said when he kind of elaborated on his postgame comments on Monday, um, I don't think they felt comfortable putting him out there. And then that leads to the question of when Mike Zimmer was making the point that he was making, was he trying to put the ax for that decision back at his boss's feet? I, there are a lot of people who think that's the case. Um, I, I certainly think there was some of that involved to try to say, hey, um, I wasn't one that drafted the quarterback with our second pick in the draft that I don't feel is ready to play. So uh, was he trying to, you know, say there's some blame to go around for this that doesn't just stop with me? I, I think that's, uh, I think it's certainly possible. I think it's well, worth and, and the quarter and, and the quarterback picked in the third round right after Mond has played and played reasonably well this year maybe out of necessity for a bad team but that that can't I mean, be ignored Davis in this the quarterback mock to the vikings in the start Tribune seven round mock draft i remember that <laughs> yes i do remember that yes, and that he was well he has i mean he's played <laughs> he hasn't played great like he's he's had a, he had a good stretch at the end of the year though and you know houston's going nowhere they they have the luxury of throwing him out there and, and seeing what happens but it is a little damning that your third round pick isn't ready to be you know a backup even by the end of his rookie season you know if the, I guess if the larger complaint is that the Vikings didn't have a better backup ready for this game, the the I guess the the comeback to that is Cousins hadn't been on an injury report for eight years. Even in a COVID year, like Cousins has been so durable that you might talk yourself into thinking the backup quarterback doesn't matter that much until it matters the most in the game you have to have. Yeah, I mean Rick always jokes about how he doesn't make his his board until he reads our mock drafts and. I guess I didn't put mine out until a couple of days before the draft. So probably my fault. I mean, if you want to put this one on me, I, I'll take it. Obviously they didn't have a good enough starting reporter Davis Mills because I didn't get it to him soon enough. So I'll take the L on that one. Doesn't the seeming shots across the bow, because you just mentioned Mike Zimmer, you know, and, and kind of his comments being perceived as, Hey, I'm not getting the resources from the front office. Mike, in your opinion, doesn't that, because Ben and I and Chip talked about this on the podcast from Lambeau, doesn't this come across as even if you think for some reason they could run this back, where are you seeing that they can work together to kind of get this going in the right direction when this is what's happening publicly? Yeah, I, that's that's a good point. It doesn't feel like 
it doesn't feel like the working relationship right now is great if, if they've, you know, and we don't know exactly what's been going on behind the scenes, but if what's going on at least semi-publicly has that kind of veil of, you know, trying to spin blame or save, you know, one another's one's job versus the other. Yeah. That, that makes it even harder to think about how you go forward with both of these guys in, in a power position. That's, that's a good point. Because working with Mike Zimmer as people, as we talk to people who have done it over the years, and certainly Ben, as, as you know, it's like working with a live wire. You're always going to kind of get zapped and zinged and burnt every now and then. And it's just a matter of, can you kind of get a hold of it? And it just seems right now, and nobody's got a hold of it. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly the, the impression that we've heard. And, and that's, I think, the impression others have, have heard as well. It's not a big mystery around the team. And yeah, do are you able to put this back together at this point? I, Mike Zimmer seems to be acting like he's gone. Um, I, I think a lot of the way he's acted this week either is he's he knows he's gone or he thinks it's so preposterous that people would even discuss the idea that he's gone, that he's mad about that. And, you know, that he has said that the uncertainty stuff is coming from, from the media and not from anything that he has seen. But um, I, the, some of the comments he's made seem like, I'm not sure you'd make those if you think that I'm going to be working with all these same people next year. Yeah, I, I don't get the sense, and certainly from talking to people in the organization, the uncertainty is not just felt from outside of the building. No, no that <laughs> so. is, that's very much the impression that we've gotten, and that's been the case all year. Um, so as the Vikings head they into... Just make these things up. Yeah, as the Vikings head into Sunday's season finale against a coach who's also probably on the way out in Matt Nagy, uh, what, Ben, do you make of Mike Zimmer's decision to kind of go for the win, as it were, and not really do much because that that to me would lend to what you're saying which is he seems like he knows he's on the way out and he might as well be eight and nine as opposed to seven and ten i think that's part of it i think the idea that he can walk out of here and say i've never had a 10 loss season matters to him i think that mattered to him last year in that game against the lions i've heard that it did so yeah i mean he'll talk about Hey, anytime you're going to play, you play to win. And he's talked about it in the preseason too, that you want to go win preseason games. And I don't, this isn't going to be that much different than a preseason game. And only, I guess it is only in the sense that you don't have to get ready for the, for the regular season afterwards. But um, yeah, I, I think it's probably, I want to go out in a good note. I want to be able to say that I was only a game out of the playoffs, possibly. Uh, if, the, if the Eagles lose the Cowboys on Sunday, you, they'd only be a game out, I suppose. But um, yeah, I, I guess you probably at this point, if you figure you're going to go, then what incentive do you have to just lay down and make sure that the roster is in pristine shape for whoever's going to replace you? I mean, it, you know, Leslie Frazier was in the same boat eight years ago in a meaningless game against the Lions. It was the last one at the Metrodome, and it was, well, we're going to go play to win, and and uh, they did, you know, a, a terrible game. game, but uh, yeah, it was like 13 to nine or something. But I'm trying to remember if Adrian played in that one. It, they might have sat him. He had that foot injury. Um, trying to remember if they approached it exactly the same way, but I think they played most of the starters and, and certainly did try to go win the game. Like, I mean, at this point, if you're going to lose your job and you don't really have much control over that, and if you, you know, 
So like, if you want to go out with dignity and say, I went out a winner and I got to experience getting cheered one more time. Um, that's certainly your prerogative. I guess I'm not going to begrudge anybody for doing that a whole lot. Yeah. Mike, Mike, what do you make of just the approach and the fact that fans, obviously it goes with the Kellen Mond thing, right? They want to see the younger players. They always love upside, even no matter how volatile it may be. Um, but that's not, Mike Zimmer does not care about that uh, line of thinking. No. And, and honestly, like, I don't know what, I don't know how much you learn about Kellen Mond. If you play him in this one game against a team that is similarly going nowhere, a team that similarly is, is probably going to fire its coach at the end of this season, probably with even more certainty than what we're dealing with here. Um, you know, maybe you do get some look at him. You can kind of, you know, show him some things that you can see things that are in actual live game action versus, you know, just playing out, you know, in practice. But yeah, I, I don't necessarily have a, a anything against the approach. Um, healthy players should play and Kirk cousins is healthy. Sounds like, so he, he probably should be the quarterback in this game. Even if it's, even if nothing is on the line, let's talk quick before we get to the mailbag about NFL coaching longevity. Cause it struck me that Mike Zimmer is the one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh longest tenured head coach. Only Andy Reed, Pete Carroll, John Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin, Sean Payton, and Bill Belichick are longer tenured than him at this point. And Mike Zimmer is the only coach hired among that group uh, since 2017, before 2017, because that was the last hiring cycle that has anybody left. 15 and 16 are all gone. Uh, The GM hiring cycle and firing cycle is close behind it, if not a little more forgiving. Um, But Ben, does that just lend to where we're at here with the Vikings and the fact that eight years and no disastrous seasons, but it's still just not enough when you look at the landscape of the NFL. So read me that list one more time. The six that are above him in terms of longevity, and I'll go most tenured in order. Bill Belichick, Sean Payton, Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh, Pete Carroll, and Andy Reid. Yeah. Ah, I see now. (laughs) All of them have won Super Bowls, have they not? Yes. <laughs> they they have they have so and it i guess if anything the wolves look patient when you look at this list right yeah they they do and you could add i mean the list looked different last year and the name right behind mike zimmer on that list was doug peterson ring um dan quinn had been to a super bowl and uh was behind mike zimmer on the list has already been fired as well so yes they've been extremely patient and one of the things they talked about when mark will last talked to us about this uh in august of 2020 uh, after they'd done the extensions was this body of work this idea that we are continually knocking at the door he said you know we want to keep knocking at the door and be in the mix to win a championship every year and they could say that because there'd been stability at that point it was three playoff trips in six seasons. Now it's three and eight. So it gets a little harder to say that you're knocking at the door when you you tried the reboot based on the young roster that didn't work. So you tried the reboot based on uh, signing veterans like Patrick Peterson, Mackenzie Alexander, Xavier Woods, Dalvin Tomlinson. That hasn't worked either. So um, yeah, it's a little hard, I think, at this point to say, that they haven't been patient. And, you know, with Rick Spielman too, it's, he's had the general manager title for 10 seasons. They've won two playoff games in that time. He's been in charge of the personnel department for 16. 
and they had three playoff wins. And I believe in that 16 years, the only teams in the NFC to not go to the Super Bowl are the Cowboys, where Jerry Jones is effectively the general manager, the Vikings, the Lions, and the Washington football team. So um, it gets awfully hard to say that they haven't had their chances. With that said, we will open it up to you guys in the mailbag. Thank you for always sending all of your questions on Twitter to us. You can find our Twitter handles at startribune.com, along with a lot of other things. Um, I want to start with a question from Neil, not because I think it's a very accurate question and something that could happen, but it opens up a conversation about the future at quarterback. Um, he throws out a trade idea. And I love Neil. He's one of our best longtime listeners, has been a supporter of this podcast for a long time. But he wants to know if Cousins for Baker Mayfield would be a trade that could be possible for the Vikings this offseason. The Browns will love it. The, now, the Browns probably seem resigned to the fact, I would hope, that Baker Mayfield is not the future. Kirk Cousins, if anything, has been pretty far down the list of their issues this year. That hasn't always been the case, but this year he's played fairly well in moments. He's yeah. had bad, bad moments. But anyway, with all that said, am I the, I'm not the only one who thinks that's a horrendous idea, right? I think it's a horrendous idea. I mean, I just, I just I haven't seen enough from Baker Mayfield to think, yeah. boy, bring him in, give him another, another swing here, you know, especially in, especially when you saw him play against the Vikings earlier this year, he's just not an accurate quarterback, doesn't do enough outside of that to you know to to be a really good NFL quarterback now you know the scenario you could see you, I mean a Cousins trade to Cleveland doesn't seem far-fetched I just don't think no. it would be for Baker Mayfield you can imagine it being for like I don't know I don't know what I don't I don't know I, I think Cousins has trade value I don't know what it is exactly I don't think it's Matthew Stafford trade value because I think Stafford is held in a little higher esteem than he is but I could see them getting a couple of reasonable draft picks for Kirk Cousins, like a second and third round or something like that. I don't, I don't know what the floor and ceiling is for that, but I think if they did that, you would, they would then be in the market for kind of one of those mid tier veterans kind of, I mean, almost kind of like a case Keenum kind of guy or, or a Teddy Bridgewater mm-hmm. kind of guy uh, to, to come in for a year, uh, you know, and maybe more if things work out just to, just, you know, to keep everybody, all these offensive playmakers happy. You don't want to have a wasted year. You don't want some random guy throwing the ball to Justin Jefferson for a year in his rookie contract and keeping him happy. So I think the more likely outcome, if they, if they approach a cousins trade is, you know, either a, you know, signing some kind of mid-level veteran kind of quarterback to be the stopgap next year, or if they fall in love with somebody in the draft, uh, you know, shoot your shot and go get that in 2022. This falls in line with Ted's question. He wants to know if Cousins isn't the quarterback and he is traded and he references Cleveland. He wants to know who is the next year's quarterback and he wants a name. He wants a name. It's not going to so let this us is off. the one where he said we can't just do a, this player's <laughs> not on the roster and take the easy way out of it. Precisely, precisely, because I don't think it's Baker Mayfield. I really don't. And frankly, I think Kirk can be a good quote-unquote bridge quarterback because no matter what he counts 10 million on your cap with him it's 45 million yes you could do a lot with that 35 million in this year's cap space but if a new leadership decides this is not necessarily a Super Bowl contending team right away what are you doing with that cap space in 2022 you might as well have it 
on the books, have a quarterback who can at least uh, do enough with Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, and these in these uh, skill uh, talent that you have, and then press forward from the rebuild from there. Um, because otherwise, who who is that guy? Is um, there there are going to be young names that people want to take swings on? Whether it's the Ravens backup, um, I think Huntley, who's done decently. There's guys like uh, Gardner Minshew, who in spot starts have done decently. Your guy, uh, he is my guy. But at the, at the same time, I just don't see like, why does that make it much more sense unless you're talking just money, which in this case, what is that? What do you, again, what are you doing with that money right away? Uh, you can't just kind of save that cap space for future years when you might really need, need it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the, whatever decision you're going to make here, one of the big considerations you have to factor into it is what does number 18 think of it? Because the guy, and I think we talked about this a little bit last week, the guy that I think you most need to worry about keeping happy is Justin Jefferson. You have a Randy Moss type talent at that position who so far, other than, you know, voicing his opinions, which I think were <laughs> defensible, and certainly well thought out in a couple of cases has been everything you wanted him to be. He's not caused trouble. He has not um, made unreasonable demands for the ball or, or anything like that. He hasn't created any off field issues whatsoever. So you need to make sure that he's on board with what happens next, because you're, you're only a year or two away from, having to decide whether you're going to pay him. And that, I mean, those rookie contracts, they, you know, five years, I, we got all, all sorts of time. They go awfully fast and we're already heading into year three with him. So I think you need to, to make sure that he's happy with whatever happens. If you go with the bridge quarterback, uh, they, they want a name. Um, anybody with LSU connections that we could throw in there. Uh, uh, boy, well, oh, if you play with Joe Burrow, that's not happening. Yeah, you're, um, you're you're testing my college knowledge, which I really don't have for LSU Jamarcus quarterbacks and LSU QBs in the NFL. Um, I mean, I could I could see the thing with Teddy is that I'm not sure anybody that was around when Teddy was drafted is going to be here to pull the trigger on it. Maybe Rick is. Um, some, but the the kind of connection to Teddy may not be quite the same thing. They already tried this. Danny Etling was an LSU quarterback. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, sure. No, I, <laughs> um, I would say. Zach Mettenberger. What, it, do we have a Chiefs quarterback? Like a backup? Uh, who who is the Chiefs in there? backup quarterback? God, I'm, 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 uh, I'm on the Google search right now. I'm not sure. So here's, here's my logic on this. Uh, maybe like. I mean, somebody who's played that type of system, like a Nick Foles. I, Chad, Chad Henney. Okay. Yeah, the... Chad Henney. Sure. Um, <laughs> Are we? Here's the reason I, I say that. Um, or Matt Moore, wasn't he there? Was he, wasn't he the one that beat for, the bike? Yep. Yes. For a minute. Um, yeah. So somebody like that, because I think there's a decent chance that it's Eric Bieniemy or somebody sort of in that vein, in that tree that it would make sense to have a guy that they know. So I, I'm going to, and this is not with any kind of decisive knowledge of this, but 
I think Eric Bieniemy would certainly be somebody they'd be interested in talking to, a guy that's been here before, uh, a guy that Rick Spielman already knows. So, yeah, I'll go. Uh, I'll go Matt Moore, Chad Henney as as your uh, as your bridge quarterback <laughs> option. You know, I've heard of you people put a name out here yet. So <laughs> I've said Bridgewater <laughs> and Keenum. I, I said Garner Minshew, my guy. Jimmy Garoppolo. There you go. Ooh, Jimmy, that's huh? Um, that's my name. Also, that's it occurred to me by the, by the way while we were talking that kind of regardless of how this plays out, unless everybody is back, unless they decide to run it back next year, which seems unlikely to me and unlikely to you guys as well. Uh, we're talking about uh, another new offensive coordinator for the yeah. Vikings and for Kirk Cousins. Yeah, you're right. Seven years in a row. Seven yeah. years in a row. Yeah. That's just it. We haven't, and we should have talked about this before. We probably should have talked. Actually, we did after the game. But since then, Mike Zimmer has been a little <laughs> candid about what's going on with his latest offensive coordinator. Can't hear him. Can't hear him. He went from Kirk Cousins, or excuse me, Clint Kubiak sometimes can't hear him in the headset to uh, saying that one time before a first down, I told him we need to run the ball, but Clint had a good idea to run uh, a good idea for a pass play on first down. So he decided now we'll run on second down. So he's referencing a moment in which Clint disagreed with him, referencing a moment in which Clint couldn't hear him. Um, and this is game number seven, 16, excuse me, yeah. uh, in their season together. So clearly not on the same page once again with his offensive coordinator. Well, and he referenced the series, I think, where they took a sack on first down. And then the next series, they came out and ran it on first and second down. Those two plays netted zero yards. So they weren't running the ball effectively even when they tried they, to do it because they weren't they weren't doing anything well in that no, game. No, I mean you, you watch that game back and the, the middle of their offensive line was getting eating was getting eaten alive by Kenny Clark, just like it was at US Bank Stadium, just like it's been in a lot of these games. It, it was not going a lot better when they tried to run it. And and Zim also said something about um and he's right about this that their best two players are Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson. The part I thought was interesting about that though is that when Justin Jefferson doesn't get the ball enough, um, I'm not sure we hear the same degree of um uh, grievance from the head coach about it. I think you're right. About it's just you're right, and the 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 tenuous nature of that relationship again. So it's it's you know, if Cousins gets traded, he's obviously going to have a different offensive coordinator. If he stays, but there's a new coaching regime, he's going to have a new coordinator here. It's just, it's pretty much un, an unbelievable succession from Norv Turner to Pat Shermer to John DeFilippo to Kevin Stefanski to Gary Kubiak to Clint Kubiak to offensive coordinator X and whoever um, Cousins had in Washington. I suppose that would have been. Kyle Shanahan at one point and somebody else. Yeah, at one point it was Kyle Shanahan and then whoever John, uh, Jay Gruden had. First four years it was Sean McVay, and then I believe his last three years it was three different people, I think. Um, I think Gruden had a couple different guys under him. for, for Being that Kirk job. Cousins' coordinator has been a nice springboard to getting yeah. a head coaching job, though. Well, for some. <laughs> for, <laughs> for some. some. Yeah. <laughs> not for others as much. Uh, not for the uh, – for now, quarterbacks coach in Chicago, I assume, is what you're referencing there. 
Yep. Yeah. We will see John DeFilippo on Sunday at US Bank Stadium, where he's the Bears quarterbacks coach for at least one more game. All right. Let's get to some more questions here quick. Scott wants to know tier the Vikings' current players. And I want to suppress this so we don't, because we could spend all day doing this. But let's just ask this question simply How many elite players do the Vikings have on their roster right now? If, if you had to just put it in that tier that, like, you know, PFF or like even the personnel departments like to do with the blue chip players. Blue chips. Yeah, yep. what what would how many would you put in that category for the Minnesota Vikings right now? Because are we talking like are we talking like PJ Fleck elite? And is I, no, this where I, I, and is this elite. where I mentioned and is this where I mentioned that I won the taco bet? I think it is. <laughs> um, yeah. So no, getting back to the original question, I think. I, okay, here's I'll I'll count them up, and this is this is assuming everybody's healthy, right? This is assuming everybody's healthy. Right. Um, yeah. Justin Jefferson, yep. Alvin Cook. Yep. I don't know if Adam Thielen is elite anymore. I think no, he's I a above average starter. I think he's above average starter now. Um, he's very good. I wouldn't say elite. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's anybody on the offensive line that's elite. I think Brian O'Neill's closest, but he's 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 close. I think one more one more good year from him, I might put him in that category. Um, on defense, I would say Daniil Hunter yep. and Eric Kendricks. And that's kind of where my list stops. I guess I have a list of four that I would say are elite. Wow, that's tough. Ben, you're writing about Harrison Smith. We talked about him last week, but would you add him to this list? Uh, he's had an awfully good year. Uh, it certainly was a lot better than he was last year. I, the hard thing with that is the fact that he's in his early 30s, I think probably is a, is a factor. I don't think he... I mean, he's never been the, the most rangy guy in the world. Um, in fact, even talking to him, he said, I don't know that I do anything great. I'm good at a lot of, I'm good at just about everything. I mean, he's kind of described himself as jack of all trades type player. He said, that's probably what I do the best is I can do everything. I don't know that I do anything particularly well. Um, but yeah, um, I think I, I think my list would probably have been the same as Mike's. I think those four. I, I think Brian O'Neill is probably the closest one. Him or Harrison Smith on on either side of the ball, as, as far as you know. If if we're being generous, you'd probably put them in there. But yeah, I, I think Thielen, Kirk Cousins, Patrick Peterson. There are a lot of guys who were like good, but you know, not great. Not what mm-hmm. I would call kind of elite level players for them. So as you kind of look toward the future with the Minnesota Vikings, you've got. Four players, five maybe if you count Harrison Smith or or uh, Brian O'Neill in terms of guys you feel like you can build around, and they're all. I think Kendricks turns thirty next year, right? Yes, he does. So Kendricks turns thirty, but the rest of them outside of Harrison are at least under thirty. Yeah, Hunter's already going to be twenty-eight, which is kind of wild. But um, that, I mean, next year will be his eighth year in the league, and. Cook will be 26, I think, right? Yeah. Um, is he already 26? Um, this is great radio, I'm sure. Uh, he's already 26. So. Jefferson, obviously young. So Jefferson's young. Um, O'Neal, yeah, it's fine because that you could play that position for an awfully long time. Um, yeah, there, there's not a lot of – I mean, in terms of guys that are under 25 that you say this is a guy you build around is Justin Jefferson. That's about it. Yeah. 
All right, quick. Joe wants to know which current Vikings player on an expiring contract do you want to see back next year and why? And I'll list them off quick. Their pending free agents include Anthony Barr, Sheldon Richardson, Patrick Peterson, uh, Nick Vigil, I believe. Um, oh, wow, I ran out quick. Xavier Who else? Woods. Xavier Alexander. Yep. Uh, there are others. But Mike, Mike anybody? Barr, I guess, is in there. Anybody that sticks out to you? Mike, I mean, it kind of depends on what your goal is next year. Like, I think Patrick Peterson played really well. Um, and if you don't have Patrick Peterson next year, I worry a little bit about what the secondary looks like. And it sounds like he has interest in maybe being here uh, longer term. Now, I don't know if that's just something someone says when one is employed by a current team or how sincere that is. But if, if, if he's sincere about that, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say no to that right away just because of where they are with you know with their with that position and how well he's played this year um you know i, I guess the other guy that comes to mind is sheldon richardson um who's played awfully yeah. well this year for a very reasonable contract uh, probably had more of a role than he thought he might have because they ended up having to use him some at defensive end but probably found some versatility with him there that they didn't know they have so i guess those two I think Xavier Woods had some moments, but I think his the back half of his season was not as strong as the first half of his season. I think Nick Vigil's been fine at linebacker, but I wouldn't be pounding on the table saying they must re-sign Nick Vigil. I agree with those two as far as Peterson and Richardson, but but Ben, the Vikings run into this issue too, right? A bunch of these guys agreed to one-year deals with the hopes of getting paid next year. And is this organization going to be in position to just be handing out the payments these guys are looking for? No, they are not. Um and this is part of the cousins question too, is they are in a tough cap spot again next year. They're um, I think eight or $9 million over it next year. I think well, maybe seven something, but they're over the cap already. And the current contract for Daniel Hunter, I will change that $18 million roster bonus is not going to be what he plays on. So some of that will change, but they don't have a lot of levers to pull in terms of contracts, I don't think. And they already pushed like $18 million into next season. So um, the the contract stuff does become difficult because they just don't have a ton of money to play with. They, they went all in this year and it was the year the cap went down. So it's they're not in a spot where they have a ton of flexibility there. Um, yeah, that makes it more difficult too. Yeah, I would just personally like to see a guy like Sheldon Richardson stick around for media perspective. He's one of the <laughs> more interesting guys and candid guys that we get to talk to. Um, but yeah, so from a selfish perspective, I guess, and just from a football perspective, it is fun to watch what he's done and impressive to see what he's done um, for this defensive line. Uh, and then Patrick Peterson, obviously, if they don't have him, who would be playing corner? Yeah, um, I had a couple questions that I got DM'd or emailed to me that I thought we'd get to here before we close it up um jeff emailed and said would you compare and contrast the browns and the vikings defense offense and coaching we seem to be in the same boat i mean very quickly yeah i think that's true the browns have a better offensive line uh that helps but the quarterback situation is up in the air it's two teams that want to run the ball and, and play defense I, I think the browns Browns have a lot more cap space i i think i'd probably take the Browns situation right now over the Vikings, you got to figure out the quarterback, but I think I'd certainly look at that roster and say, yeah, I'd, and especially the cap situation, I'd rather be in that spot. 
Yeah, that's that's a tough one because the Vikings are, I feel like, at the point the Browns are entering the point like where the Vikings were maybe in more like 2015, 14, 15, where it's like they're starting to build something. Maybe they overachieved a little early, but now they're kind yeah. of going back through it. And their offensive line was just t- in tatters this year. I think they were starting yeah. like their third or fourth tackle by the end of the game on the right side. And um, so I, I just think that this wasn't really representative of where yeah. Cleveland's headed. And Cleveland isn't weighed down by these years of roster decisions where we're going to pay this guy, pay this guy, pay this guy, and then be tied down to some of these deals or dead money cap hits that are still left on the books. So Cleveland's got a little more flexibility in their direction right now. And with guys like Miles Garrett and JOK, a linebacker, um, they've got some talent there. And and I, I think the Vikings do as well. It's just they're going to have a harder time maneuvering this future kind of maneuvering toward this rebuild and where whatever direction I think they're headed. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with a lot of that. I, I think that offensive line for the Browns when it's healthy is a big advantage. They had, I think four guys in that line last year that got all pro votes. So um, that, if that group is intact, that's a, that's a big deal. All right. What else you got? Uh, so Scott DM and, and this is a long one. So I'll try to paraphrase this to some degree. He said, can you please speak to the part of the fan base that says we can't move off Kirk with a better alternative? And then he talks about, says our ownership is committed. The cap savings from him and then other cuts would allow us to make meaningful investments elsewhere. Elsewhere, he talks about the middle class at quarterback that we talked about a little bit with, with Teddy and your guy Minshew, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, those types of guys uh, that you could sign and then continue to draft. He's basically saying it doesn't have to be a complete teardown. It doesn't have to be keep cousins or blow the whole thing up and be bad for the next four years. You could try to go this intermediate route and keep yourself in the mix without cousins and uh, at least win enough games to be competitive. My question with that, though, is where does that leave you? I mean, you, you still have this idea that, you need an elite quarterback and you're not going to be able to win a championship without one. And I don't know that any of these approaches get you there. So that would be my question there. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. I I feel like the Vikings could move off from Kirk and be just fine uh, because we've seen this before with franchises transition from quarterbacks. It's just a matter of like, it always is getting the decision, right. Making sure you're, you're, making the right draft pick or signing the right bridge quarterback and then jumping into the right situation. If it's acquiring a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers via trade, or some of these quarterbacks are going to be available. I'm not saying that that's an option for the Vikings in the NFC, but you never, might be. you never know, right? The bears apparently reportedly pursued Russell Wilson pretty strongly last year. So maybe he's an option for them. You never know, <laughs> but at the been 10 years ago, yeah, that's right. That's right. Gosh, who, who did they draft in that third round? Josh Robinson. Josh Robinson instead of Russell Wilson, even though the coaching staff had coached him at the senior bowl and loved him. Oh my gosh. He brought it up before, but it seems like as good a time as any to look back on that because oh, how different things could have been. <laughs> it is worth bringing it up over and over again. I, I will say that I don't think people should sit there and say, they can't move on from Kirk because look how bad it might be on the other side. Yes, that's true. But at the same time, are you okay being stuck in neutral? Are you okay being in this kind of, you know, middle space, this, 
this um, the medium place, as it were, in, um, in that one show, The Good Place. But anyway, yeah. I just don't see I just don't see a future with Kirk right now. I think, like I said before, he's a good one year, I think, quarterback for them next year if they were to just head in a completely different direction, which would seem to be what this franchise needs right now. Well, I mean, the whole reason we're even thinking about all these changes is because they've been stuck in the middle and they haven't been able to make the push to get over the top. And you're not going to get there in all likelihood without a great quarterback. And this group has not given you a great quarterback with Kirk cousins. They've given you a good quarterback who I think at times is very good, but the bet you made when you signed him is we have a really good roster and with a very good quarterback, we have enough to get over the top that the really good roster obviously has changed a lot and you couldn't keep that together. So you are then back in the spot of we need to go swing for the fences at the quarterback position. I just, I don't think you're going to get over the top without it. So, you know, a lot of this is we haven't won enough. We either haven't maximized the quarterback. We haven't gotten it quite right. And who's ultimately going to pay for that decision is going to be decided here in the next few days, or if anybody pays for that decision, but yeah, this idea of, you know, what if we're not stuck in the middle or what if we're not competitive? Like that might be what it takes. I mean, you might need a year or two of that to say we can go get our guy and have him at our disposal for the next five, 10, 15 years, maybe depending on how good he is, but it doesn't take that long. You, you don't have to be bad for 10 years. You could be really bad for a year or two, get the right guy, play with him on a rookie contract. And all of a sudden, here we go. Look out. So, um, this, this fear of what if we go three and 13 or three and 14, I guess it is, uh, if it's a year of that and it takes that, um, I, I would, I guess say be more open to that than being afraid of that. All right. Let's end with the chicken fingers statement of the week, because we're going to have a lot of time to talk about the direction of this franchise as the Vikings embark on their third year without the playoffs in the last four years. Chicken fingers wants to know he expects a lot of people to ask about a new GM or head coach. So he wants to know about the timing. If the Vikings fired everyone at the end of the season, when would you expect a new GM to be hired? And when would you expect a new head coach to be hired? Um, the GM would probably go first and then the coach would go after that. I don't know that it would be a terribly quick process because you'd have to figure out kind of how you're going to go about the GM search. I mean, the, the, the thing that has been an issue with some of this, I think, is that the Wilfs are not necessarily quote unquote football people. And you don't have a team president that is a football person that's worked in the football side of things that can go hire the GM. You got to figure out, are we going to use a search firm? Are we going to do it ourselves? Do we have enough contacts? Is Andrew Miller, the COO going to do some of it? I mean, that's why when we talk about the, is the GM going to change or what are we going to do with Rick Spielman? That we talk about this with some hesitation. So I think that process takes a little bit of time and then you have to get a head coach probably after that, because the new GM would have to have a hand in that unless you get somebody that's a package deal that they've already worked together or whatever. Um, I am supposed to start jury duty on January 24th. I'm going to predict that one of these decisions <laughs> will be made January 24th, January 25th. That's what I'm going with. Uh, it does seem to back twice. Maybe they'll let me bump it back one more time. Henry County, if you're listening to this, let's talk because my schedule might be changing again. 
it, Sorry. It, it does seem to always come down to the worst moment. So if the, yeah, if there's a daughter's like birthday party schedule or something, it's going to be let, let us know. And then we'll all be able to plan around when the Vikings big announcement is going to come. Um, so we'll be able to know sometime between <laughs> January 24th and whatever two weeks after that is when I'm supposed yeah. to be uh, on call to do my civic duty with Hennepin County. Uh, Cause it just doesn't make a lot of sense. You've seen some organizational structures when you look around the league, I'm not going to do the Carl Polad thing that Chip Skog has reminded me of recently when he sat down with the Polads and asked about, have you guys, it was, this would have been like before they hired um, their current uh, skipper. Who, who's their manager? Baldelli. Baldelli. Um, this is before they hired Baldelli, but they yeah. asked him like, have you looked at like how you want to structure your organization or how other teams have done it? And Polad goes, yeah, we've flipped through the media books. <laughs> And they're just like, whoa, like that's all you've done. Um, so to do that, to flip through the media books, I you see places like the Carolina Panthers. You see places that have the cart before the horse where they have the head coach and then they try to put the GM in after that. Yeah, And it just, it does not seem to work out. It doesn't seem to work out. Now you have places like Jacksonville where they, Shad Khan's coming out and saying, oh, I'm going to keep my GM in place yeah. and now try to bring in a new coach and make sure this works with this. So it, without them being in lockstep and being brought in together, I thought that was what worked so well with Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer initially was that Rick Spielman is the one who hired Mike Zimmer. They wanted yep. to work together and kind of build around this where now you it's got place, philosophy too. Yeah. And then now you got places like Jacksonville where Shad Khan's going to hire the coach, but he's got to report to both the coach and the GM and it's the triangle of power that doomed the Vikings so many years ago. Yeah. I mean, the one example I think of this working where you have the coach and then you kind of go find the GM later, maybe San Francisco, um, you know, with Kyle Shanahan, I think, I think I'm trying to remember the timing of that it was Shanahan was there first, right? Boy, I cannot remember that one. I have to look it up. Cause right that now. was the one that George Payton, everybody thought was going to take. And then John Lynch kind of came out of the woodwork at the 11th hour. Cause Payton was like, by all accounts, the number two guy, or was going to be the guy there. Um, before John Lynch got the job, but that has, I think, worked. I mean, you could argue that have they gotten everything they should have out of that? Um, I think you can make the, make that statement that maybe they haven't, but they've been to a Super Bowl. They were on the verge of winning that Super Bowl, and uh, they're going to be back in the playoffs again this year. So um, I think that's worked. But, yeah, otherwise, I think you got to start with GM and then let that person have a say in the head coach, unless you're going to have some alternate power structure where it's you hire a coach and have them both, both him and the general manager reporting to ownership. I, I think that's tough to do um, when ownership isn't uh, kind of around on a daily basis. Maybe everybody ends up reporting to Rick Spielman. I you know, maybe that's the approach that like the Packers have done with Mark Murphy being over the top of Brian Gutekunst, the GM and Matt LaFleur, the head coach I, and Russ Ball, the cap guy. Maybe we go back to the triangle of authority with Rick over the top of the whole thing. And then he is the go between with ownership and the triangle of GM to be named later, head coach to be named later and Rob Brzezinski. Maybe it goes that way. To clean up our previous uh, conversation, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan were both hired during the 2017 playoffs as Kyle Shanahan's Falcons marched toward the Super Bowl. Um, and so close to winning it. 
I don't know who was exactly first, but it was kind of in the same month. So uh, you would assume, like I said, lockstep, you would assume you'd want them on yeah. the same page, not somebody like Trent Balky, who's been through the fire in Jacksonville is now to sit around and wait for whomever Shad Khan hires as head coach. Some of these organizations just run themselves into the ground. And I think the wealth showing patience on this front has been maybe their only downfall in it because they find themselves in this kind of neutral situation. Well, and your succession plan walked out the door when it would have been George Payton and Kevin Stefanski. And that's what I was trying to hint at with patience, because you're right. It was exactly after the 2019 season, right? Where all of that smoke was out about Mike Zimmer and the uh, owners had to come out in front of the team and make a declaration of, we believe in Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman. And this is after an embarrassing loss at home to the Green Bay Packers uh, in which Dalvin Cook didn't play. Mike Boone had to start at running back. The offense was just demolished. The offensive line was demolished. Everybody thought they were going to get destroyed in New Orleans. And that one win, as we keep saying, changed everything. It changed everything. It sets up the entire two years of where we're at now to them extending those guys, the Wilfs standing in front of us in August and saying, we've been knocking on the door. Well, that knock was one overtime win at New Orleans. And really, the only other knock before that was a miracle against New Orleans. Yeah, I was going to say, you could argue that if not for two wins over the Saints in the playoffs, this would be a lot different. Because 2017, if they lose that game, they were up 17 nothing at halftime. If they lose the game, you're now 0-2 at home in the playoffs. You've blown a lead at home on the doorstep of the NFC title game. And then the next year, you bring in Kirk Cousins. You end up firing your offensive coordinator in the middle of the season. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if uh, if we'd be sitting here with that, uh, with everybody still in place, if either of those games with the Saints go differently. I remember, I, I remember both of us sitting there talking about hearing people in the building saying, boy, Kevin Stefanski sounds good as head coach right now after that mm-hmm. 2019 season and everybody knowing that, that people like Cleveland organizations like Cleveland, were going to poach him. Yeah. Um, Cause he'd interviewed there the year before. Yep. It was one of the finalists the year before they hired Freddie kitchens. Wow. And here we are, here we are. All right. Well, let's wrap this up because we have a lot of time moving forward. As I said, the whole playoffs to talk about yeah, this. We've kind of covered the whole waterfront <laughs> today. We've been all over the place. Um, but the next time we talk to you, the next time we talk to you guys, the Viking season will officially be over. Uh, we will be at us bank stadium after the Vikings play the bears. Uh, we'll have a lot to break down or maybe a little after Kirk cousins and company plays Chicago. Thanks for checking this podcast out. You can look at, look for all of our work at startribune.com. Maybe you should get off the podcast.